Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first lesson comes from Jeremiah in the 33rd chapter, verses 14 through 16. Listen now to the Word of God. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I invite you to stand that we may hear the reading of the Scripture from the Gospel of Luke, the 21st chapter. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for powers of heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and at all trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things ta have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live in the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. There are man-eating sharks in every ocean, but we still swim. Every second somewhere in the world lightning strikes, but we still play in the rain. Poisonous snakes can be found in 49 of the 50 states, but we still go looking for adventure. 
A car can crash, a house can crumble, but we still drive and love coming home. Because, I think, deep down, we know that all the bad things that happen in life can't stop us from making our lives good. I wish I could say that I wrote that, but I didn't. It's actually the copy for a television ad. You may have seen it. It's for insurance. Go figure. But it is powerful, awfully powerful. If we allow our decisions to be made by what we are afraid of, then we will not do anything. It is a powerful cultural message that we are to receive. Yet this, this poem, this advertising copy, if you will, also shares a message of faith and hope that is not unsimilar to what we talk about in church. It may not be exactly the same. There are places where maybe I would tweak it, where you might tweak it. But there is something in it that stimulates us, that resonates within our calling, our understanding, our ability to be a people together. This, for, this poem speaks to being able to see around the corner. Of course, we cannot literally see around the corner, but it is a phrase it's a, a, a notion, an idiom that expresses the ability or the desire to sense what's coming next. Sometimes entrepreneurs are described as having the ability to see around the corner when they speak of a great new trend or, that, or they are in, anticipating a great new trend. But it also is about our living day to day and not just the great things in life, but our sensing those times when something important is about to happen, something that is to come around. In a sense, Advent is like that. These four Sundays before Christmas we call the Advent season, the preparation for the coming of the Christ child, the Advent of Jesus' birth on earth. And each Sunday, we will use this wreath here in worship as a way of marking our progress of being patient, as Debbie shared with the children. It is like a clock or a calendar that moves us forward. And today, we talk about hope. We lift up hope as our, in our preparation. It is the attribute that we move toward, hope. Hope is the ability to see around the corner. Sometimes we may make this, we may talk about this as if it is magical or, or, or mysterious, something that just emerges. Or we could talk about hope as some sort of uh, 
uh, literal explanation. We could, we could look for some literal blueprint that opens up where we're going. But real hope is not about an explanation, be that explanation theological or scientific or logical or made up by any other set of means. Real hope is about keeping our eyes open in the moment where we are and seeing the things that are around the corner, seeing the things where life is offered, where goodness is affirmed, where love is shared. That is being able to see around the corner. In 2006, it was realized that the world is collapsing. That is, the world of bee colonies. And if you are a beekeeper, or if you are in agriculture, or if you are in some other form of business, you may have heard of this. You may just know it, having watched the news or read, read it um, in some journal or periodical. In the 2006, researchers and farmers and uh, commercial operators realized something was happening, and they put a name on it. The queen bee in beehives was being abandoned by the worker bees. And the workers would leave the queen and the, those who would attend to the larvae and the larvae and, and leave the whole supply and just disappear. And it has been called colony collapse disorder. And without the worker bees to maintain the colony, to sustain the colony, then the colony would become desolate. The food would end and all of the bees would die. This is not simply a problem for beekeepers and for farmers. It's also a problem for you and me because so often bees are used to pollinate crops. Truckloads of bee colonies are transported to different places where there is agricultural production, and the bees are pollinate. They take pollen from one plant to another, and the plants, when they are pollinated, are then able to produce their fruit or produce their, their, their good. And that is how it happens. And on the large commercial scale, this is necessary. But these commercial colonies were collapsing. They were disappearing. A number of reasons have been offered. There's a parasite that affects bee colonies. There are viruses that attack bees. Pesticides, some pesticides kill them. And there are all sorts of responses that have been planned. Working groups have been put together. Government agencies and researchers and commercial groups are collaborating to deal with the problem. And there is some progress, yet it remains. The bee colony world is collapsing. It may seem as if the world that we live in as well is collapsing around us. The news of refugees fleeing Syria and Iraq have been mixed in with the terror attack accounts from the last couple of weeks in Europe and Africa and Asia. In our country, the issues of refugees and terrorism have been commingled and intertwined into a very toxic political rhetoric stew 
All sides are attempting to score points with their base constituencies by using these points, by using these examples. And it may seem that our colony of human community, not just here in the United States, but around the world, our colony of community and civilization is collapsing as well. The Scripture today speaks of a world that is in collapse. In a time of fear and foreboding, the powers of heaven and earth are shaken, said Jesus. But Jesus continued to say it is precisely at that moment that we should stand up to the disciples, he said to them, and to us as who, who inherit that, that hearing, we are to stand up and to raise our heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near. Jesus tells a parable, a story. When you see a tree begin to sprout its leaves, you know that life will soon burst forth. The summer will come, and the tree will be able to bear its fruit of the season. And when you see those trees sprout, you know, you know that the new life will come. So also, when you see things like these taking place, Jesus says, when you see the calamity and the fear in the world, you know that the kingdom of God is drawing near. The kingdom of God is drawing near. One way to hear these words about God's kingdom, God's rule, even, even in the midst of collapse or around the collapse of the world, is to, is to hear that. God's kingdom is here. It is now. Maybe we could also say that throughout history, Whenever there has been fear and foreboding, whenever there have been instances of calamity and collapse, whenever that has happened, God's kingdom has been near. In other words, we have inherited a world where God's kingdom is so close. It's not because of when it is coming. It is about how we live in it now. It is not about the when. It is about the how. Jesus says, stand up, raise your heads, for God's kingdom is coming near. Your redemption is drawing near. But if we live in a world where these things happen, where do we do about hope? We live in a world, though, where there is not so much hope as there is fear. Fear. We fear people who are different than we are. We fear circumstances in which we are challenged and confronted. We fear the world around us. We live in a world where we are afraid to allow ourselves to see the possibilities of hope that is just around the corner. We let our fear drive 
our conception of what will come. And we are paralyzed. Even sometimes when we come to church, we are paralyzed. Our own relationships with friends and families may be tainted with emotional and even toxic freight from conflicts that have happened. We struggle to find ways to move forward, to live our lives together. What can we see around the corner of where we are now? What can we see? How can we find life that is offered? Where will we find goodness affirmed? What does it look like to share love? Yet every so often, every so often, in the glimpse of the world, in the glimpse of the church, every so often there is a glimpse of that place around the corner, that hope that is just there. John McCall is a missionary in Taiwan. He is a Presbyterian minister representing the Presbyterian Church USA in Taiwan. Before serving there, he was a pastor in North Carolina and Florida. I know John. He was the pastor for my family for a number of years in North Carolina before receiving a call to go to Taiwan where he works with churches and seminary students and communities that are seeking to follow Jesus. Several years ago, he wrote about um, a trip that he took. He took 32 students and church workers and church leaders from Taiwan, from the various church communities in Taiwan, to France, to a place called Taizé. Taizé was founded after World War II as an intentional ecumenical youth uh, retreat and conference center. It is a place where youth from around Europe have gone ever since and now from around the world to spend intentional time worshiping and singing and learning about what it means to follow Jesus. Every week of the summer, upwards of 6,000 youth and young people will gather in France for this purpose. John describes this encounter with a particular encounter that he had while he was there with his 32 students. They met, the first day they were there, they met a Lithuanian man named Linnaeus, and he was unusual looking to the Taiwanese. He had pierced eyebrows. He carried around an African drum and he played it at his church, as he played it at his church in Lithuania. He told John that he had traveled for four days from Lithuania to Taze. At night along the way, he slept in the park in Munich and in Paris. He hitchhiked. One night, as the two groups gathered, the Taiwanese and the Lithuanian groups gathered, they sang, and they worshiped together, and then they began to talk. After several of the songs that they had sung together, Linus 
talked about his literal, physical journey from Lithuania to France and how he had gotten there and what he had done. One of the Taiwanese youth in particular was moved by this. It was obvious that he was paying very close attention, even though they were having to do this through translation. His name was Tahus. And when they got ready to leave, when they broke up from their group evening activity and they went back to the group, Tahus took aside the missionary John and he said, I want to do something for Linus. I want to give him some money to help him get back home. This Aboriginal student was from a single family home. They had very little money and it had been a very great sacrifice requiring the resources of his girlfriend's family to make sure that he even was able to make this trip. He didn't have anything to give, but he told the missionary that he wanted to do that. John said, you don't need to do that. Linus will have enough. You don't need to do that. So they went to sleep. They went to bed. The next morning, Linus, uh, Tahus got up and, and told the missionary, he said, I prayed about it and I am giving him 10 euros, a very large sum for him to give. And so John said, I will do that as well. They, they worked together. They wrote a note. They both put in 10 euros. And then they went to take it to, to Linus. At first, Linus didn't want to take the gift. He knew that Tahus didn't have much. Just in his brief encounter, he was aware that this was a, an extraordinarily generous and gracious gift. But John said, John the missionary told the Lithuanian, he said, if you stay a night in an aboriginal home in, in Taiwan, they will bring out all of the food that they have to make sure that the guest is welcome, and they will not worry about what the next day offers. Tahus told Linus that he didn't need, he didn't, um, Tahus told Linus that while he didn't give much money, it was what he could give, and it represented God's love that Tahus, this man from Taiwan, felt for this new brother from Lithuania, not knowing him before. Linus was very moved by this. John writes this, as the three of us went to the large chapel to sit on the floor to worship, I looked at these two young men from very different places with very different histories, but I saw the bond of Christ that was knit between them. As we sang a song in Lithuanian in worship, Tahus put his hand on Linus's shoulder. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. At that moment, I saw the kingdom of God right in front of me. We don't know where we will encounter grace. Jesus reminds us things are happening all around us, and you may be distracted, and you may lose your focus, and you may not pay attention, but do. Pay attention. Be alert. And if you do, you will be surprised at what you can see 
around the corner. Thanks be to God. Amen.